So we're in the middle of a series that we've, we're calling How the Grinch Can Steal Your Christmas, and what we're doing is we're looking at the four words that Isaiah mentions in Isaiah chapter 6, and using those words kind of as a springboard to talk about where we can set our heart this Christmas. And the hope is that if, if we set our heart on the person of Jesus Christ, then, um, then it doesn't really matter what happens at Christmas, that we have experienced what all, all that really matters. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched a Christmas movie or two, but isn't it interesting how when you watch them, how close Christmas is to like falling apart every single time? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, how many times that like Christmas has been on the line if it wasn't for some brave hero coming in to save the day? Like, it's ama- like it's, it's almost as if Christmas is like always just like kind of perpetually hanging by a thread. Just a few examples for you that I, I found in my study. Um, one is that you guys seen the new Disney Plus show Noel? Maybe some of you've seen it. It's it's average, but it's Christmas, so average movies get better because they have the Santa costumes on. But um, but it's it's the Christmas movie Noel from Disney Plus, and essentially what the story is is that if if Noel doesn't talk her brother into becoming Santa Claus then like only like 2,000 kids are going to get Christmas presents this year. And spoiler alert, she does. Christmas is saved. Maybe, that, maybe you haven't seen that one, but maybe you've seen this one, Elf. You guys like Elf? That's the best one of all. And, and, it's, and so like, it, think of like how close Christmas was to not happening in that movie. Okay, so Santa just so happens to cla- crash his sleigh in Central Park. Buddy just so happens to be there. Buddy just so happened to know how to repair the sleigh. And then, and then there's, this, there's this like random group of people, and, and Jovi, his love interest, just so happens to lead them in Santa Claus is coming to town because the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. But even then, okay, even then if you think about it, everyone is singing the song, but it still wasn't enough. It wasn't until Roger finally sang the song that Christmas was saved. That Christmas is always hanging on by a thread. Maybe, those, maybe that's not your style of Christmas movie, so for some of you, maybe it's Die Hard. And, and as you think about Die Hard, okay, you got Bruce Willis climbing through vents, walking on glass, just trying to make sure people have a great holiday party that they had no idea that Hans Gruber was going to try to try to mess up. But whatever the case might be, like, it's at Christmas, we, kinda, we take that almost to our preparation sometimes. That as we think about Christmas, we're like, okay, man, if I don't do this, this, and this, and this, and it's, it's not going to be perfect, it's not going to be what I want it to be. And so we think things, and we put all of this undue pressure on ourselves this season, where we think things like, man, I've got, I've got to make that perfect meal. It's my first one I'm hosting. If I mess it up, it's not going to be good. Or, or when we think about the presents that we want to buy our family, we think, ah, I need to make sure that I get them everything that's on that list, plus one really big surprise they didn't know that they wanted. Or maybe you're like, like our family, and you've, you realize that there's a holiday party on every night of the week. And, and you think, this Christmas, we're going to go to every single one and we're going to have a good attitude at every single one. But whatever the case might be, we put this pressure on us. We, we put this desire on ourselves to say, okay, we're, we've got to make this perfect. And, and what I want us to realize is that we don't really need to put that type of pressure on us 
Because the only thing that really matters about this season has already been done for us. And that's what Isaiah is doing. He's, he turns us in Isaiah chapter 6 to the person of Jesus Christ, and what he does is he shows us some titles that will, that will be titles and actions of how Jesus himself will function in our lives. And, and let's look at this here in Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 9, verse 6. He says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But the one that we're looking at this morning is the idea of Jesus Christ, the Mighty God. And, and that's how it's translated, and that's a good translation, but another way that it could also be interpreted is Warrior God. That the idea that Isaiah is communicating here through this text is that the one who is going to come on Christmas Day is one who is coming that is equipped to fight. That not only is he, he equipped to fight, but he's very capable to fight your battles. I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where you just felt like so many things were happening to you that you needed someone to come in and give you a little bit of relief what you can know is you can know that Jesus Christ came to give you that relief. Then this is chapter, this is chapter 9, verse 6, but in, in verse 4, Isaiah gives us an example of how, how God has fought for his people in the past. Let me read this to you. This is verse 4. It says, For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, what Isaiah is doing is he's reminding the people of Israel of something that happened in their history. And it's, it's something that happened in the book of Judges with a man whose name was Gideon. And if it rhymes with Midian, that's probably why he picked him. And so his name was Gideon. And God raised up Gideon to fight these people, the Midianites. Doesn't seem that impressive, but then you start looking at the details of this battle. And the details are why Isaiah is reminding them of, of this power. But when Gideon goes to fight the Midianites, the Midianites are one of the most powerful nations in the world. That their army has 135,000 people in it. Their weaponry is very sophisticated for the day. That, that they've been conquering people. And, then what, and, and, and they're oppressing the people of Israel, and so... So what God does, he raises up this man named Gideon, and he's like, hey, I know you guys don't have an army. I know that you don't have any experience in warfare. Get some people, and you're going to take them. And so what Gideon does is he rounds up 32,000 farmers. And they get together, and they're like, okay, we're going to fight them. God's going to help us. There's 32,000 of us. There's 135,000. I don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to trust that God's going to do it. And right when they get ready to fight, God speaks to Gideon, and he says, yeah, you got too many people on your team. And he's like, wait, wait a second, there's 135,000 of them, there's 30,000 of us, what do you mean I have too many people on my team? And God's like, I, I want to I fight for you in a way that everyone knows it's me fighting for you. So essentially what ends up happening is with this, this battle, he, God ends up speaking to Gideon, and he whittles his army of 32,000 people down to 300 fighters. 
300 versus 135,000. And they win. They win the battle. And here's the thing. Like, their, their strategy for fighting was stupid. God's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give every one of them a trumpet, a glass jar, and some fire, and that's all we need. And they go in, blow the trumpets, break the glass jars, and every single Midianite starts killing, them, killing each other. But, but here's, what, here's what Isaiah wants you to see as you think about God, the mighty God. That he's perfectly capable of taking care of you. That he is perfectly capable of fighting for you. That all of that pressure that you're putting on yourself, trying to make things perfect or do things a certain way, you actually, you don't have to do that. That Christmas, that your life, that it actually isn't hanging on by a thread. That oftentimes what happens is that God uses us and fights for us in spite of us. And if you think of like the gospel, if you think of the story, that it is a story where throughout it all, when you think of the person of Jesus, you see a person who was victorious every step of the way. And you might think, well, what about the cross? Well, the cross, he, nothing was taken from him at the cross. That everything that happened on the cross, it only happened because he allowed it to happen. There's this moment when Jesus is getting ready to be taken away to be crucified. One of his 12 who doesn't really understand things pulls out a sword and he tries to chop off one of the people who's taking Jesus' head. He misses and gets his ear. Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the man, and he's like, cool. And then he says this to his, his disciple who didn't understand it. His disciple was Peter. And he said this. He said, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send to me more than 12 legions of angels? That's 72,000 angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? that it must be so. But the story of Jesus is one of victory. And, it, and even as we talk about him, him as a hero, and him as victorious, and him in battle, that we have to realize that it's, it's not like some Marvel movie where there's a really strong bad guy who's outwitted by the good guy, but that Jesus is a perfectly capable fighter who who is far more victorious than we realize at times. And that's his story. His story is one of victory. And what I find so interesting is when you think of the humble beginnings of the church, it, it ended up, like, in spite of their humble beginnings, in spite of, like, insurmountable odds, Jesus, he always won. I mean, think about it. Like, we are talking about someone who was born into poverty 2,000 years ago in a place called Missouri on the other side of the world where it happened. Why? Because he's a mighty God and he wins. 
came across this quote by a historian named Will Durant, and I really like it, just talking about like the odds that were, would, would have been against the early church. And this is what he says. He says, there, there's no greater drama in the human record than that the sight of a few Christians scorned and oppressed by a succession of emperors, bearing all the trials with a fierce tenacity, multiplying quietly, building order while their enemies generated chaos, fighting the sword with the word, brutality with, at last, defeating the strongest state that history has ever known. I like this last line. Christ and Caesar met in the arena, and Christ has won. That he is, he's mighty, he's undefeated, he's our hero. So then the question, if that's true, this morning then is, what does that mean for you? And if this is true, if he's a mighty God, then, then what, does this, what does this mean? It means a few things. One is it means that you can rest. That if he is a mighty God, then you can rest. I bet that it's true of everybody in this room. That there are things in your life that you are carrying that you don't need to carry. I, I bet there, there, there is weight on you that God would gladly help you with, but for whatever reason, you feel like you need to hold it. Jesus is a mighty God, and because he is mighty, because he is a hero, you can rest. All the pressure that you might put on yourself during the Christmas season to make things perfect, you don't have to do it. All that Jesus would want is he'd want you to simply give your best, ask him to help you, and trust him with the results. And if he's mighty, shouldn't that be enough? Maybe some of you, the idea of resting is difficult because they're just things that have happened to you. And you feel this, like, weight and maybe even frustration with people. And what you feel as you think about, you, you feel like you need to make someone pay for what they did to you. That maybe someone really wronged you this year, maybe something really happened, and, and someone took something from you, that they, and you feel like they need to give you back what they owe you. That what Christmas would say, the fact that he's a mighty God, what would communicate would be that you can actually, you can, you can rest. He came to fight for you. And because of who he is, you can rest and knowing that he'll take care of you with what you face. The second thing that you can do, if he's mighty, if he, if, if he is who he says he is, if he is truly a mighty God, then you can find strength. But if he's a mighty God, that you can find strength in who he is and what he has done. I mean, look at the first two words that we've looked at, Okay. Just like, look, that he, Isaiah 6, or 9, 6, his name shall be Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. Just think about, like, what that means if that's true. If that's true, you have a God who is a wonderful counselor, which means he knows all, and he knows all about you. So someone who really intimately knows you. 
someone who really intimately cares about you, someone who sees all of your struggle, who sees all of your pain, who knows all that you've been through and also knows everything else that there is to know. And on the other side of that coin, he's also mighty. And so so you can trust him. You can find strength in who he is. Sometimes the way that might work is as you, as you struggle, as you feel weight, as you look to him, he might just say, I got it. You can find your strength in me. Sometimes as we seek him and we seek his counsel, maybe the strength that he wants to give us is something, something different where he says, hey, just don't, don't do anything. I'm mighty. I can fight. But I don't know if you have a friend where just being in their presence brings life to your soul. Like you're just around them and you're like, man, I, I feel good that I was with them. Like that's how you can find your strength in him. That as you're with him, as you're in his presence, that he can bring things out of you that maybe you didn't even know were there and help you find comfort and strength in who he is. That if he is mighty, then you can find strength. And, and finally, the, the other thing that you can know is that, that if he is mighty, then you can win. Like, you, you can win. And if you're here and the idea of God as a warrior God who fights battles makes you feel uncomfortable, let me suggest that maybe that's because you're not in the heat of a battle right now. Because if you're in the heat of the battle, who do you want on your side? You want someone who can fight to win. And there's this verse that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans. And it couples with this idea of Jesus being a mighty God. And, and, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Listen to this here. This is Romans chapter 8. Paul speaking. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Just think about that. Paul knows that Jesus is mighty. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. That no one, that no one can come against you if he is for you. And the reason why you can know that to be true is that part that's in bold. That we celebrate Jesus at Christmas time, not because of the fact that he was born. <laughs> it's great, it's a cute story but we celebrate Jesus at Christmas time because he died and because he rose. And, and because he did that, you can confidently say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Maybe you're in the heat of a battle right now and you just don't feel hope. I get it. Maybe you keep fighting and you're just like, I don't get why things are going the way that they are. And I'll be honest with you, I, I really can't speak to your situation. I don't know what God is doing there. But here's what I can tell you. That there will come a day 
or there will be only one battle in your life that will matter, and it will be death. And here's what I can tell you, that because of Jesus, because he did not spare his own son, but gave him all for us, here's what I can tell you, is I can tell you that Jesus, he won that battle for you. So that when your life ends, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen to you. You don't have to wonder your fate, but you can know that if your faith is in him, that he conquered the grave so that you could too. That even in that moment where, where he seemed weak, that was only for you. That he did what he had to do so that you could have hope. That, that this, this is why he created Christmas. He created Christmas to bring you hope. And so as I close this morning, I think that the, the, the most fitting way to respond to this hope is to worship Jesus. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, maybe you, you're curious about that, but it's, it's, it's as simple as you saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm going to trust you that, that my hope lasts beyond this grave. And if you pray that and you believe that, I mean, you're, you're in. It's that easy. But as we celebrate Jesus' birth, there's, there's a word, okay? There's, like, there's a word for it. And, and it's the word, and it's kind of a cheesy word, but I'll be honest with you, like, it's good. It's the word, it's the word hallelujah. And it's, and it's literally, that word literally transliterated is, is praise the Lord. Like, that, that's, what it, that's what it means, and as you think about Christmas, as you think about his birth, as you think about the fact that he came to die, what better response than to think about him and to say, hallelujah. And, and this is something, and you think about the victory that comes, that this is something that someone who lived before Isaiah even, one of the kings of Israel, understood. And, and he says this in Psalm 146. Let me read you a couple verses there. He says, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. Hallelujah, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you for watching our services. If you have questions or you would like more information, you can visit us online at nlspringfield.com. We'd also love to have you join us at one of our Sunday morning services. We have programs at 9.30 and 11 for adults, students, and kids. We hope to see you there.